Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, before we begin, I want to thank Vertical Wisdom, who wrote a review for the podcast in iTunes. I uh, wrote it on December 2nd, and he said, Excellent, as if we were sitting down and having a chat about his recent sales. We live in Park City and hope we can meet up. Well, Vertical Wisdom, write me a note, franz1 at medsailor.com, and then I'll send you my cell phone. And if you ski, maybe we can do some runs together sometime. If not, we can get together for a cup of coffee or a drink some evening. I'm back and forth between my ranch and going right by Park City all the time. And uh, also, I will be <laughs> at Sundance in January pretty much for the full week. You're probably leaving town like most of the locals do. And if you're smart, you can rent your house out for a pretty penny during that week. But I'm uh, actually, I have a press credentials for the Sundance Film Festival for the second year in a row. Thanks to Neil. Hey, Neil, thanks, man. Hope you're coming out with me this year. Also, I got press credentials for Slam Dance. I just got notified of that today. But anyway, Vertical Wisdom, drop me a note. And in the note, you might send your phone number and I'll give you a call as well. Before we get on to today's podcast, let me thank our sponsor, Sailrite. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite UltraFeed sewing machine. The UltraFeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com. Well, last episode, I talked about a new... Patreon, Jake Miller, who lives in Australia. And Jake and I last week had a couple long conversations about his major adventure he had in, in living out his dream. And I've yet to get to the end of the story. We did two episodes and uh, I ran out of time. I spent basically about two hours talking to him and we broke that up into two different episodes, but we've still got another one to go. So Jake... I know it's the Christmas holidays. Uh, we need to schedule one more time to talk and finish up your story. It's a great, fascinating story, and I'm going to share that with the listeners as soon as we get the full series put together. But for this week, I'm going just to do a monologue. And I haven't done a monologue for a while, but this is the portion of the last summer's sale where I was by myself. I usually schedule about a week to do some solo sailing to keep my, well, to keep my sailing skills up to snuff. When I have people sail with me, if they know how to sail, they end up doing a lot of the work and I can just sort of be lazy. 
But I always give myself about a week to sail by myself. And you have to really plan ahead when you sail by yourself. You have to think of everything you're going to be doing, where you're going to be going. So I'm going to start out where I left off the last episode in Poros, on the, down in the Peloponnese, the northern end of the Peloponnese. Poros is actually its own island, but it's just uh, connected by a ferry to the Peloponnese. So the last episode, and this covers the time period, August 12th through uh, August 18th. So on August, actually it was on August 12th, my crew left that morning, And I got up bright and early and decided it was time to head off and get ready to go through the Corinth Canal. Now, the distance to the Corinth Canal was just too far to do in one day. So there's a stopover spot that I always go to. And let me bring it up here on Google Earth. It's a little town that's about halfway between Poros or Agena and the Peloponnese. It's a very well-protected harbor. It's called Corfos, K-O-R-F-O-S. About three little restaurants that have moorage that you can tie up to for free, and they have Wi-Fi and water. I did not tie up because, again, I'm sailing by myself, and I just didn't want to go through the headaches of, of backing in, getting all the lines ready, dropping my anchor, and and hoping somebody was there to grab my lines And also, I knew I was going to be leaving early the next morning. So I just anchored very close to one of the restaurants, so I was close enough to get their Wi-Fi signal, and put the dinghy in the water and and rowed to shore and had a very nice dinner at this little place. Now, the town is basically a tourist town for, I think, mostly Greeks. You don't really see uh, many foreigners there except for the sailors that are anchoring in the big well-protected harbor it's pretty much protected on all sides it might be open a little bit to the south to the southwest a little bit but not much it's a pretty well-protected harbor and it's got good holding so this is i think the third or fourth time i've stayed in corfos and so not much to report on that drop the anchor went for a swim and then the next morning i got up very early and basically motored all the way up to the Corinth Canal. Now, this is my fourth time through the Corinth Canal. The first time it was super exciting, and since then it's always enjoyable, it's always interesting, but it's not the big adventure that it was when I initially went through. The first time I went through, I went through from west to east, and then I've gone through from east to west one time, and uh, west to east two times, and this is my second time from east to west. And So when you enter the Corinth Canal, if you're entering from the west, there's no, you just basically get on the VHF and call the Corinth Canal control. And let me find that VHF channel for you, just a second. All right, they use channel 11. So you approach the canal. As you're approaching the canal, you get on channel 11 and call the Corinth Canal Control, and they will tell you when it's okay to come. They run 
one direction at a time. So if you're going from west to east, you may be waiting for the people going from east to west to finish their transit through the canal, and then you enter the canal. And usually the canal authority tells you exactly who you're supposed to follow. So at this time, I, I knew, well, first of all, doing this by myself, this is the first time I've gone through the canal, I think, by myself. I've always had a crew in the past, so this time I had to get ready and side-tie. You side-tie on the eastern side of the canal. So if you're going from, east, for, if you're going from west to east, you will, you will just get on the radio and uh, motor around until it's your turn to go through the canal. Once you go through the canal, you tie up on the eastern side of the canal on your starboard side as you're going through the canal. And then you'll go to the office and pay your, pay your dues. And for me, it was about 100 euros to go through for my uh, 28-foot boat. That was the uh, documentation measurement. And you will pay your dues based on the size of the boat. It's gone up over the years. And, of course, there is inflation in spite of what our, <laughs> our Fed and government wants to tell us. There is inflation. All right, so I paid my dues, went back to the boat, sat around, waited, and then they came on. And by the way, there was no wind at all. It was dead calm, which was perfect for tying up in the canal. So I arrived, I think I arrived around 9 or 9.30 in the morning. Like I say, I got up at the crack of dawn and motored there because I knew I wanted to get all the way to Galaxy City on, on this day. So I go through the canal, and as I'm going through the canal, there's a big tour boat behind me, right behind me. And I'm going through as fast as my boat will go through at about six knots under, under power. And this big tour boat comes right up behind me and starts honking at me. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pull over in the canal and let this big boat go by me. It's, you're not even supposed to let anybody pass inside the canal zone. But he kept, he kept coming up to me and honking at me. Finally, he realized I wasn't going to move over, and he backed away. And as soon as we got through the canal, all he did was pull over, unload the passengers he had in, and load up another group of passengers to take the other direction through the canal. So that's all he did was go back and forth through the canal. So if you want to do a transit of the canal, you don't have to do it in your own boat. You can just go to the Corinth Canal and hop on one of these tour boats, and it'll take you through the canal. Got through the canal and motored, just basically motored. There was no wind. Motored all the way to Galaxy City. And just as I'm coming into Galaxy City, about two miles off of the turn to go up to Galaxy City, the wind started coming up. Very, very strong winds from the, uh, basically the southwest. Very strong winds. But I get in there and I look, and of course I knew that with these strong winds, I was not going to try to to back into the slip. So I go in, and, and as I'm coming in, it's really, really strong, full-on storm force winds that are blowing in there. I go as close to shore as I can, drop my anchor, and it's good holding there. And I was held very well. I didn't bother putting the dinghy in the water because when it's blowing that hard, I would worry about dragging my anchor. I did a double anchor, my double anchor technique. So I had my little fortress down first and then my CQR behind that. 
And so I'm just uh, on my boat having a drink. I don't know, maybe having some supper or lunch. And suddenly I hear something that sounds like a gunshot. And then another gunshot. This, like a shotgun shell going off. Pop, pop, pop. And I get up and I look down and there's this big, oh, it's probably a 70 or 80 foot boat just downwind from me, also at anchor. And one of a little bit of its jib had just come loose, and now it was just flopping back and forth and flopping back and forth. And there were just two guys on the boat. It was a huge boat, and it had a full crew of probably five or six people. And the winds were so strong, they tried rolling it up. They couldn't roll it up any farther. And eventually the wind just kept tearing it and tearing it, pulling it farther out and farther out and farther out. And pretty soon I see a, a boat come from shore, a big boat come from shore with some other crew members. They get on the boat and they basically lower the stay that was holding up this uh, roller furling. It must be it must have been a drifter or something like that. But it was like they had two head sails, and this was one of them that was on a roller furling. They were able to lower it all the way down, and of course it was had been ripped to shreds just by this wind. And like I say, the wind was extremely strong. Well, unfortunately for me, I also happened to be off of a beach club, and the beach club was playing loud music pointing out to sea. And it wasn't my type of music, but it just went all day and probably until about three in the morning, just loud, loud music. So the next morning, I could see that the weather was not going to change, and if anything, the wind had actually increased. Even though there was very little fetch, there was still little waves bouncing the boat around. But again, I was held well. But I decided I did not like the idea of spending another day just sitting there on the boat uh, in a place that wasn't particularly pleasant. I knew they were going to turn the music on in this beach club again, and I thought, I'm out of here. So I looked at the pilot, and just around the corner was a very, very well-protected bay. It's called Ormos Anemokambi. I'll spell it for you. A-N-E-M-O-K-A-M-B-I. It was extremely well protected. I could get close to shore, but it took me literally about, oh, probably about three hours to motor there. The winds were so strong that my motor could barely, and it was right into the wind, my motor could barely push me through the water. So it was really slow. But as I, as I slowly go in there, I see there's two other boats, and two other boats are in there. Both of them are um, the same, same design. I'm trying to think of the design. It wasn't a Moody's. It was, um, oh, it'll come to me. Anyway, they were both the same design boat, and one was a British, uh, skippered by a British skipper, and the other one was uh, some Swedish, a Swedish man and woman, younger, the Brit was an older guy. The, the Swedish guy was younger. And as I was coming in, they were, they were pulling up and going out. And I thought, great, I can take their spot because they were anchored in a pretty good spot. But as they go by, I tell them what the conditions are like back in Galaxy. And I go ahead and anchor. They go out, face the miserable weather conditions out just outside of the protection of this little bay. And they come back in and drop their anchor. And then row over and invite me to come over and have a drink with them. And, of course, the British couple did that as well. So I ended up having drinks on both these boats. And the British, and I, and I 
don't have the names of the people. I wish I'd written them down. Actually, I do. The Brits. Hold on. Just let me find that. Well, he didn't give me his full name. It was uh, Rod on the Halberg Rossi 46 named Rhea. Anyway, we had some drinks, and he gave me the email address to get a hold of uh, <laughs> the guy that wrote the book that's in front of me right now, Rod Heichel. I haven't reached out to him yet, but I'd love to get him to come on the podcast and, and talk to us since he's written uh, so many great books, as a, uh, so many great pilot books that we as sailors use all the time. We did get into a discussion about he was flying a flag, which I didn't recognize, and I guess I should have recognized it. He was a member of the Royal Cruising Club, which is really an exclusive club for true uh, trans-oceanic sailors. He had crossed the Atlantic a couple times in his boat. I'm not sure if it was this Halberg Rossi that he was on, but this is the same cruising club that, um, well, let's see, Erkstein Childers, I think Tristan Jones was a member of. You had to be invited to join the club, apparently. And I didn't know if he was feeling me out, if I was interested or not. But that's the, um, that's the cruising club that basically is responsible for the editing of uh, the Greek Waters pilot. And Rod Heichel's a member of that and so forth. But anyway, we had a great evening. Uh, it, was, it was really nice to be in a well-protected anchorage. I got in the water and swam around for about an hour and a half. There's, in, in the pilot, it says that there's a hotel at the head of the bay. Well, there's a big building that might have been a hotel at one point in time, but it was just pretty much, well, it was uh, locked up. There was nothing there. I was hoping there, the hotel would be there. I'd go and have a drink or get dinner there that night, but I, I didn't. I ended up cooking on board. Well, the next day I got up and the wind had died down and I went around to Galaxy and uh, I knew there'd be people leaving because everybody had been stuck there for several days because of the storm conditions and so I went in there fairly early in the morning, and as I pulled in, a, a, <laughs> a boat was trying to pull out of this extremely narrow and extremely crowded uh, key. And it was an older gentleman, and he had pretty much picked up about four anchor lines. I've got pictures of it. I'm not sure if I'm going to put them up on this post or not, but you might go to the website medsailor.com look for this post, and if I decide to put this image of <laughs> this massive headache of trying to get out of, the, out of there. He, he, had, he was one of the early ones to leave. He pulled up his anchor, and there had been so many people that had crossed his anchor in backing in there. I guess he got in there early and was trying to leave early. And uh, it, what happened is a lot of the people that were that had crossed his anchor, had to basically come out and pull their anchors up so he could get out of there. Normally, if it's just one anchor road that you've gone underneath, you can lift it up, put a line underneath it, lower your anchor, and, and clear yourself that way. But he had oh, three or four that he was <laughs> that, that had crossed his anchor line, and he could not pull it up. But he was, it was calm. There was no wind. We were just, he was just sitting there trying to figure out how to deal with this. Other people from 
the other boats came out in dinghies to try to help him. And eventually what happened is the, the boats that had crossed his line uh, pulled up their anchors and, and reset their anchors. So then I pull in, and uh, I'm snug as a bug in a rug. I know I'm going to be there three or four days. I decided this was where I was going to spend quite a bit of my time. And so I spent one day there, and that night there was really, really loud noise from the nightclub just across the street from me. The next day I decided to rent a car, so I rented a car, and I wanted to go see Thermopylae. And where the um, the Spartans fought the Persians, the great battle of Thermopylae. I went there, and I went to basically where Google Earth told me to go was basically the hot springs, the hot Thermopylae hot springs. And all there is there is a hot springs running out and a bunch of derelict buildings where uh, there were squatters living in there, basically... Middle Eastern squatters had taken over these buildings and were, were basically living there. Then I drove down the road and I saw the statues that they had of, uh, f- for the battle. Along the way, I picked up a couple French hitchhikers, a boy and girl, or I should say a man and a woman hitchhiker, that were headed up to, do you remember the movie For Your Eyes Only, the James Bond movie? Well, in that movie, he has to climb a uh, cliff to get to a monastery. Well, that was where the, uh, where the bad guys were hanging out. But it turns out it's a monastery in Greece. And I, I decided they, they were headed up there. And after I visited Thermopylae, I thought, well, it's only another couple-hour drive up to this area of Greece, which I'd never been to. It's in the town of Kalambaka, K-A-L-A-M-B-A-K-A. So I drove up there, visited some of the monasteries, saw this monastery from the James Bond movie, and it's called the Monastery of Holy Trinity Matora, M-E-T-E-O-R-A, Matora. And uh, it was kind of fun. It was fun. It was a good day out. It was a lot of driving I did that day, but I rented a car, and I figured, why not? So I drove up there, visited the monasteries, went in a couple of them, and then drove back to the boat. It was a long day. I got back to the boat when it was dark. And the next day I turned my rental car in. And I was there for another couple nights, and the wind, well, not the wind, the wind was fine. The, the nightclub across the way from me was just blasting. Now apparently, and this would have been around August 15th, 14th, 15th, 16th, and apparently that's a big holiday, and everybody goes and parties and makes a lot of noise. So if you're going to Galaxy City, uh, avoid the middle of August, unless you just like staying up all night due to loud noise. Now, if I was farther down the down the dock, I might not. It might not have been as uncomfortable as it was, but I decided. Uh, Galaxy City used to be one of my favorite places to visit. It, it lost a lot of its charm for me because of, well, first of all, the beach club blasting out music, and then secondly, this nightclub uh, right across from where I was tied up blasting out music. I did not get a lot of rest. So I blew that, I blew that taco stand and headed over to the island of Trezona and spent a couple nights on the island of Trezona. I found I could do my laundry there. 
I took it up to one of the hotels there, and they did my laundry, which was great, because otherwise I was going to have to head over to Patra a day earlier than I wanted to just to get the laundry done in preparation for my next crew. So that was pretty much the end of my trip. I went to Trezona, spent a few days in Trezona, uh, just enjoying myself, taking it easy, and then motored over to Patra and got there, and my next crew called me up on the phone, and they got on the boat the next morning, and and that's going to be a story for another day. Jack, I know you listen to this podcast, Jack Andrews, so you probably right now are up in Ireland or Britain somewhere, and uh, we need to catch up on how your summer went. We talked a little while ago, or we texted, or I don't think we talked. I know we texted back and forth a little bit. And I think you were in Italy heading towards Britain. And uh, we thought maybe we could do another podcast and catch up on your summer. So reach out to me when you have a chance, and we will schedule something with you on Skype. If you have any ideas for this podcast, drop me a note, franz1 at medsailor.com. If you want to support the podcast, there's two ways you can do it. You can buy my audio products, my audio books on how to learn to sail, preparation for the ASA 101, the ASA 103, or the ASA 104. Or you can be a Patreon. And there's a link at the website to take you to the Patreon page where you can sign up and support the podcast if you want. I really appreciate those that have taken the time and their hard-earned money to support the podcast. It takes a lot of effort to put these podcasts together, more than you think it would. If you want to do me a big favor, go into iTunes and write a review of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.